near-death experience podcast, an ongoing exploration of spiritually transformative experiences, including NDEs and other phenomena, in order to elucidate the ineffable and better understand our spirituality. All episodes are available at ndepodcast.org. The views expressed and opinions given by the individual hosts and guests are not necessarily those of NDE Podcast, the NDERF, any sponsors, or for that matter, anyone else. In the end, the only opinion that really matters is yours. Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side, also composer of the music Home from my most recent album. Okay, today we're going to talk about the experience, or we're going to share the experience of Carolyn from enderf.org, the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation website. Carolyn says, It was a Wednesday night, August 2005, when I was rushed to emergency due to chronic abdominal pain and vomiting thought to be pancreatitis. My bowels had burst, my lungs collapsed, and my kidneys failed. I was wrapped in ice due to my soaring temperature of 42 degrees Celsius and no blood pressure. My body was pumped full of liquid, which caused retention, and my weight soared from 65 to 140 kilograms within one week. It literally ripped me apart. The pain was so excruciating that my body started shutting down. I went blind and could not speak. The exhaustion I felt was tremendous. It was as if a heavy, wet, black blanket was suffocating me. Moving and speaking were extremely difficult. I never cried. That was simply because I didn't have the energy. I had peritonitis from a defunctioned limb, compromising most of my small bowel from the pancreas and duodenum which had become twisted and had a perforation. I also had intra-abdominal sepsis due to carious collections. I had chronic immunological deficiency secondary to malnutrition. I developed multiple opacities in my lung fields, which were thought to be due to fungal infection. The surgeons operated to leave an open laparotomy wound down to the deep fascia. My belly button was on the left side of my body, my entire stomach open for nine months. The wound is still still currently open at the top, and I could see about five centimeters into my body. I have currently been in three induced comas and have had eight major surgeries. Within two days of being in the hospital, I was put into an induced coma, and my parents were informed that I had 48 hours left to live unless I had surgery. The percentage of survival from the surgery was extremely minimal due to numerous complications. 
During the coma, I could hear and feel, however, I could not respond. I remember trying with all my energy just to lift my eyelids, but my body would not cooperate. The exhaustion was overwhelming. It was during the coma that I experienced, experienced a white mist pass through the top of my head and work its way slowly through my body. It was a warm feeling, and I remember thinking, it's cleaning me. This light is cleaning every cell in my body. It stopped at my heart and spent some time there before it continued through my body. The next thing that happened, I believe, was while I was on the operating table. After consultations with my surgeons, they have admitted that it is not medically possible that I am alive. They informed me that my heart never stopped beating, and they were sure I wasn't going to make it through the surgery or even through the recovery. I remember being in a valley. I would always get upset at funerals when I heard Psalm 23, Even though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I saw a sandy pathway, uh, a sandy pathway and black jagged rocks on either side. The rocks were the blackest of black. They reached high into the heavens as if there were, was no ending. The only reason I could see these rocks was because there was a light that was in the valley. It turned the darkness into light. I had no body, but I could see a man dressed in brilliant white robe. His clothes were as bright as a lightning bolt. Light and love radiated from him and drenched me in absolute euphoria. His love for me was so overwhelming that I could only look at him in absolute awe. It was like being dunked into the Pacific with water rushing inside and out of, and out of you. Absolute saturation, every cell soaked in his love. He was walking towards me while holding the hand of a young girl. I knew that the little girl was me. Suddenly, I was inside the little girl and could see through her eyes. I turned my head and looked up at him. He was looking down at me with such compassion and love. His eyes revealed such a purity, a holiness, emotion beyond human capacity. I knew that no human had the capacity to feel even a speck of the enormity of this love, of his love. I was his child, and he loved me. He then spoke to me, not through words, but through thought. It's not your time yet. It was then that I came back. When I awoke, one of the first things I said was, I can see, I can see. It's as if scales had fallen from my eyes. My mother, who was a nurse, responded with, Yes, I know you can see. It wasn't the physical seeing that I was referring to. It was the spiritual. It was as if a curtain had been placed across my eyes due to a traumatic incident that happened when I was 18. It affected every part of my life, the way I acted, the way I spoke, the way I viewed relationships, and the world had all been infiltrated because of this one event. I had felt dirty and harbored feelings of guilt due to what happened. I had thought that God could not look at me. 
I had felt that I was never good enough. Through this event, I was able to see into my own heart. I was able to see myself as God sees me, laying on my hospital bed with tubes covering my body, an open wound of 40 centimeters by 40 centimeters, hair falling out, skin peeling off the off my eyelids, water retention exploding me to a hefty weight of 140 kilograms. I felt beautiful. I felt so beautiful, so pure and so clean. This is how God sees me. I was able to forgive people in the past. I had previously thought that by forgiving someone, I was letting them off. I now realize that by not forgiving them, you are bound to them. So many realizations and truths were brought to light. I experienced another two comas, the second in which I saw hell. I didn't sleep for three days in the intensive care unit after the visions I saw. You will have to contact me to find out about that one. They actually had to tie me to the bed during that coma as I was trying to pull off or pull all of my tubes out, which would have resulted in my death. I was in a wheelchair for 10 months, dropped to 55 kilograms in four months, and was anorexic. I'm 175 centimeters tall. I vomited up to 30 times a day for about 10 months, which was extremely painful with an open wound. I have lost a lot of hair and have numerous scars. I'm still in recovery and due for another surgery, major surgery, because the wound is infected and has developed a sinus. There were times that I wanted to die. I'm not afraid of death anymore. We are all here for a certain time to do God's will. I can confidently say that even though I have been told I may never f recover fully, I'm a walking miracle, a miracle both medically and cured from the past hurts. I believe that I will fully recover. The doctors are amazed at my progress. I am back teaching high school three days a week, which is exhausting, but hey, I'm teaching. I am glad that I went through all the pain. It was worth it. The doctors thought I would die from the pain. They are still shaking their heads. I would go through it all again just to see his face, just to experience his love. The miracle that happened during that time, and I have only touched the surface in this recount, have my cemented my beliefs in the Christian God the only God. And that is the end of Carolyn's account. Now, I often will um, skip through the uh, medical stuff and get straight to the experience, but in this case, because she says that her heart never stopped, I thought it was important to show how serious how deathly serious her situation really was. I mean, she was literally physically falling apart, um, bloating, and, and um, I, I mean, you heard the, the account. I'm not going to uh, recount that. She was dying. I mean, there was, uh, you know, and as she says later, the doctors were astounded. I mean, still shaking their heads that she survived uh, what she 
went through. But what she experienced in that short time, I mean, maybe I, I, she doesn't really talk about how much time seemed to pass, but the short account of seeing the valley and these beautiful black jagged rocks on either side, um, I believe she says, yeah, she's in a valley, there's jagged rocks um, that reached all the way into the heavens, and that she could just see them because there was a light that was in the valley. It turned the darkness into light. I'm not sure what that means. It's, is it that the valley itself is emanating light and that beyond it there is complete darkness? Or is there light coming from somewhere? Maybe even this person that she sees in, in a few moments. Uh, it, it's unclear. From other people's near-death experiences, we hear that light emanates from everything. Um, like, you know, even the ground itself is emanating light, uh, a rose will emanate light, a person will emanate light, and so forth. Maybe that's what was happening, we don't know, she doesn't give that much detail, but she says, I had no body, but I could see a man dressed in brilliant, a brilliant white robe. His clothes were as bright as a lightning bolt. And then he talks about how this man who he, she sees... And remember, she says she sees no body uh, of her own. She had no body of her own. But she sees a little girl walking with this brilliantly clothed white, or this brilliantly white clothed being. And, uh, and so she's seeing this from a third-hand account. But then she is suddenly that girl. She was inside the little girl. It was her. Now, this is interesting because it seems to be fairly common for people when they go to the other side, no matter how old they were in this life at the time that they died. And actually, Carolyn doesn't really say. Um, maybe her weight could give a little clue as to her um, age. But I don't get the impression that she was a little child at the time that she died. So, um, for the benefit of you fellow Americans, I had to look this up, but 65 kilograms, which was their starting weight, uh, was 143 pounds. That sounds like at least teenager, um, probably adult, um, and then of course she gained considerable weight in this process. But, um, but she's at least a teenager, probably an adult. I would guess, um, at the time that this began. And then she sees herself as a little girl. Um, again, it is very common for people to, to experience the other side as being a child on the lap of God or, or Jesus or, uh, or, you know, a divine being of some kind. And they may have all the intellectual capacity of an adult, but they have the uh, feelings of love and acceptance for their, you know, as if toward a parent that a child would have. I find that interesting. I'm not sure why that is. Not everybody experiences that. In fact, it, I would say that it's less common um, 
you know, maybe one in ten or so experience it in this manner. But she seems to be experiencing it in this manner. And there's two interesting points out of this. First off, she's first seeing herself at a distance, walking with who she seems to um, consider to be Jesus. And um, she sees herself at a distance. Now, could this be that her conscious intelligence form, bodiless as she describes it to be, is seeing her spirit body form at a distance? Now, that makes it sound like they're at two different locations. I'm not sure location is necessarily a factor there. And I don't know how that works. I, I can't justify that other than to say that this is not terribly uncommon. For somebody in a bodiless form, seeing their bodily form, and, I, and that bodily form being the spirit form, which of course is separate from the physical body form that is laying on a hospital bed. That may be confusing, but that seems to be... I, let me just put it as my, uh, as, as my theory that there is a spirit intelligence form that is maybe our deepest, deepest nature, which inhabits a spirit body form, probably most of the time, or in, in you know, I, I can't say, I, I don't know. We, we can't identify um, more, you know, beyond what we can read about in these experiences. But so she sees herself, her body, her her little girl self and then she is this little girl or in the mind of this little girl and is looks up at god or jesus however she is seeing this person and she is absolutely overwhelmed with his love just absolutely she describes it in fact as as that human emotions, physical, our mortal physical selves, don't have the capacity for that much emotion. She describes it as being dropped or, or lowered into an absolute ocean of love. It's saturating everything inside, outside, completely encompassing her entire self, every cell soaked in his love. And then um, she describes, she says, his eyes revealed such a purity, a holiness, emotion beyond human capacity. There's that uh, description of the enormity of his love. And his only words, which are not spoken with his mouth, but through thoughts, are, it's not your time yet. And then she finds herself back. And um, it's kind of interesting also that she describes going through further surgeries, further experiences, and that after this one, where she is accepted and loved in the, in you know, hand in hand with God or Jesus, she then experiences hell. Now, she doesn't describe it here. She says, I'm, I'm not going to go into that here, basically. Um, but she then experiences hell. That is 
interesting to me because it seems to be um, opposite of how it usually happens when somebody experiences a hellish experience. They usually experience hell and then they're pulled out into the light. This, it appears that she has this glorious light-loving experience, comes back and then goes into this hell experience of which details we don't know. She doesn't give them here. But she says, I didn't sleep for three days in the intensive care unit after the visions I saw. And I don't know if that means that for three days she's experiencing this hell or for three days she's experiencing these experiences, including this one with God and then um, at least one with hell. Um, it, but she does mention three days of experiences and the first being the one we've described, the second being hell, does that mean there's a third on the third day? I don't know. Um, it's, it's kind of vague in terms of that. But uh, what she gathers from all of this, and, and she has, she, you know, at least to the point, to the point of her putting this account up, um, which would have been much later, you know, over a decade later, she uh, she's gathering from this that all of the hate, the lack of forgiveness that we have is only hurting ourselves. As she describes it, holding a grudge or um, not forgiving someone is not letting them off the hook. It's actually doing the opposite. It is binding them to us. We are holding them in our grips we are, we are clinging to the pain of it. Now, whether that person is even aware of the suffering, whether that person is even involved in it at that point, is, has actually nothing to do with it. They may go on living their lives not knowing what they've done, or maybe knowing what they've done and going on and repenting and, you know, uh, seeking forgiveness themselves and forgiving those who have forgiven, needing their forgiveness and, you know, whatever. It's, it's totally not doing anything to them by your holding this grudge, by your holding this lack of forgiveness uh, for them. But it is binding you to them. It's, it's tearing open continually the wound that they've inflicted. And you are binding yourself to them. By letting go of that, by forgiving, you're allowing the wound to heal. And true to wounds, it's not going to happen all at once. It's not like you just let go and then you no longer feel any pain. That can happen, but it's rare. More likely what is going to happen is you will let go and it will still hurt, but you will let it go and then slowly over time, totally, you know, individualized how much time, but that pain will go away and get to the point of being something of a scar, which is painless, but is educational to you and will help you. And you will learn the things that you needed to learn from that experience. But your forgiveness is the only way you forgiving them is the only way that that healing can actually take place. And the only way you can actually break yourself off from that individual who's hurt you or situation that has hurt you, it's the only way. 
and she discovers this Carolyn experiences these things and that seems to be the lesson that she gets from it an interesting aspect to it and be careful with what you do with this for yourself um, but she says that she would experience all that pain again just to feel that love again now there is no need no need to rush it we will all experience that love when we get to the other side, especially if we strive to love while we are here, to forgive, to provide kindness around us wherever we go, to whomever we meet and whatever we meet. That love and forgiveness is what makes us um, it, it's what makes us up. It's what we're created out of. And the further we get from that, the more difficult and painful the, uh, the return to the other side could be. It's like ripping off, you know, a Band-Aid or duct tape or whatever, you know, when you're, when you're, when you have gone against your nature for so long, going back to your nature it will be beautiful and glorious at some point, but it will hurt to change. <laughs> but if you've li if you've learned the lie or the lessons that life is here to teach you, and you learn to love in even the most difficult situations and circumstances, or learn love through them, you become one with the love that is God. That's kind of what I gather from what she's saying. She says, just to experience his love, I would go through it all again, just to see his face. And though many people come to different conclusions from their experiences, different religious conclusions and so forth, uh, and, and seriously, you know, <laughs> running the gamut in terms of, of what they uh, conclude their religions. Um, in this case, Carolyn finds that her experience cements her beliefs in the Christian God. But again, as mentioned, the one similar thing that she comes out of it with is that God is love, or that, or that, that um, our true nature is love. That light that we experience on the other side is love and that we are beings of love. That is something that everyone seems to conclude. Anyway, if you would like to contact me, you can email chaz at ndepodcast.org. John is john at ndepodcast.org. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so by either purchasing my book or my album, Life in the Spirit World or Home. You can also um, support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash NDE podcast. And that, it, it's through that means that we're able to you know, keep the podcast running and so forth. Obviously, the books and albums um, support my efforts um, because... You know, it, it's it, with my efforts to support my family and so forth. Um, 
the time that is spent doing this um, can be justified by the sale of my books and music. And again, I don't want to, anyone to feel pressured. I don't want you to feel like, you know, you're not supporting the podcast in some way. If you can't support financially, I totally understand. Totally understand. And uh, I just want you to know that I'm just glad that you're here. So with that, thank you all of you for listening.